This is Anthony Pascal. And this is Lori Elster, and this is the All Access Star Trek podcast. This week, we are going to be reviewing Prodigy Episode 12, Let Sleeping Borg Lie, which is an excellent title. But we're going to start with the news like we always do. And this time we have some Kate Mulgrew news because she was visiting her statue. You know, she has a statue, everybody, in Bloomington, Indiana. And she went to see it and there was a big fan event and a Q&A and all this stuff. And that's where the topic came up of what's happening with a possible live action Janeway. Well, the, the statue is of Janeway, not of her. Yes. Because Bloomington, Indiana is the future birthplace of Catherine Janeway. Although she deserves one too, frankly. But yes, it is of Janeway. I mean, it was inevitable for the live action Janeway question to come up again. It comes up every time anyone talks to her about anything. Yeah, you know, although she likes talking about it. If if, if someone didn't ask, she would have brought it up. Let's face sure. it. In fact, she did bring it up. Someone had asked her a different question and she turned it back into a live action question. So it's on her mind for sure. She kind of took us behind the scenes of New York Comic Con after Alex Kurtzman said there's an idea. And, you know, he kind of hinted maybe this is going to happen, maybe not. And, you know, she joked of, you know, what is discussions in Hollywood means the same thing as I'll call you later. But... Then she said that she kind of gave Alex Kurtzman conditions of like, this is what it'll take for me to do it, blah, 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 blah. What did you think of her conditions, as it were? She set high standards. She set big conditions and basically said, I mean, in a way, it's, it reminds me a little of Patrick Stewart, who also had conditions. Um, and her conditions were like great writing, beautiful language, a great story, and an adventure that's greater than Voyager and greater than the Delta Quadrant. So it's got to be worth it. It sounds to me like she wants to do a Star Trek Janeway show. Because she talks about how Janeway should be focused on science and exploration and something like that. I guess the question is, you know, is Paramount Plus interested in doing a Janeway show? You know, would Alex and everyone else be interested in using Janeway as part of a larger show? And if so, would she do that? Because... When I asked her about that, she was vague. I've heard that when she was in Germany in September for Destination Star Trek, she was more definitive that she would not be interested in doing something except for a Janeway show. And I just don't think that they're going to, I just don't see that happening, to be perfectly honest. Well, I think, you know, it's interesting that you said that when people don't ask about it, she wants them to. So I'm guessing that she sees the connection between the fan demand, which we've seen work before, and a Janeway show. I don't know. It's it's a really interesting question because she is really popular. And oh, yeah. she's, a, she's a big reason that people are that a lot of people are watching Prodigy or felt at least at the beginning that the legitimacy of Prodigy, you know, before they watched it and saw it was 100 percent legit. So I feel like they might. I don't see them launching a show called Star Trek Janeway. I could see them launching a show where she's a regular, where she's the Admiral, and and Jerry Ryan is the captain of the USS Titan. I don't think she wants to do a show where she, where other people are doing the exploring and she's sitting back and telling them what to do. I think yeah. she's specifically saying, I'm not going to do that. That's the, the reason why I think there's a possible issue here of, no, but we'll see. Because the thing is, is that, you know, they have not yet to announce the Academy show, which is supposedly on deck, the Section 31 show. You know, they, they got to five shows pretty quickly. And 
They've yet to announce another show, even though they've already announced that one of their shows is about to end by April next year. So so they'd want to be in production on something to keep up the momentum. Right. If they want five shows in 2024, they have to announce a show by the end of this year. But the question is, does Paramount want and or can afford five Star Trek shows simultaneously? Yeah, they're expensive shows to make. Yeah. And streaming has changed. In the last few months, especially the way Wall Street looks at it. I'm not going to get into the weeds, but companies are no longer being rewarded for how much they're spending on streaming. Now they're being rewarded for how many paying customers they've got and how much profit they're making. And they're still not making money off streaming at Paramount. You know, the stock is down again this week. So I just I think they want to launch another live action show. And they've in a weird they've got too many choices, probably. Right. You know, but they've got to pick one of them. I just don't think it's going to be Star Trek Janeway, is my point. Right. Well, yeah, I I don't think it's going to be the next one. I don't think the next big announcement will be that. Almost certainly not. But yeah, maybe down the road, maybe a miniseries. I was just thinking a limited series, something small that could be huge, big in scope and small in number of episodes. Right. Like the Obi-Wan, although I think they've been talking about there being another episode, but they've been doing this on the Star Wars side. I love limited series because they could have a beginning and middle and an end and essentially picard was that way as well i think season one of picard could have been better of course but they could have built that around the idea of it being a limited series and i think there was a possibility it could have been and then it just kind of became three limited series essentially because each season so differently yep The whole Q&A with Kate is so well worth watching for fans. She talks about so many. First of all, I mean, she owns the room as she always does, but she tells a great Angela Lansbury story and she talks about Voyager stuff and Janeway stuff, reminds us all that she's writing a novel and is just completely engaging and intelligent and articulate and speaks to each member of the audience who has a question. So we have a we have the whole video on the site and you should go watch it now. Speaking of people from Voyager who want to be in live action Star Trek again. Which is everybody, really. Which but is, yes. <laughs> um, Bob Picardo, who never shies away from having a pitch. He's got a pitch for how to get in. <laughs> and this was um, on Ian Spelling's The Companion Show, which is a good show, podcast and video. And his pitch is basically, well, first of all, he's like, well, I'm old. So, you know, you got to explain that away, which I mean... I don't really see that as being a big problem, but he acts like it's a big deal. There's such an easy solution because the doctor can just say, well, I decided that to blend in with everybody, I've created a way for my program to look like I'm aging. Done. I mean, it even makes more sense than Data because Data was a physical being. And so you'd have to explain, like, why did the android age? But, you know, we're going to see that in Picard season three where there's a, you know, where supposedly lore just essentially looks like older Brent Spiner, but with the makeup on. <laughs> I don't see this as a big deal, but his solution is, I mean, it's a good idea, but it's too complicated because he's basically saying, well, I could play Zimmerman and it'd be fun to play Zimmerman dealing with the doctor, as, but the younger doctor. Yeah, he compared it to having to work on something with your 18 year old self. Yeah, and he talks about the humor of that. It's funny because his go-to is what would be funny. And his go-to of what would be funny is two of him. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. The more of him, the funnier it is. And he's probably right. The question is, does one of these shows want something funny? 
if he was pitching this to like Terry, it's a little too slapstick to fit into something like that Terry was doing for season three of Picard. But maybe for his, you know, the Terry show that Terry wants to do after that, maybe sure you could do a a, a little arc with uh, Picardo. But this does it still forces them to de-age him, which is expensive. I feel like his his solution's too complicated. I think your idea is much better to just age up the doctor or just have him play Zimmerman. Yeah, I mean, I'm more interested in the doctor than Zimmerman. I mean, I agree with his own self-assessment that he's very funny. So (laughs) that could be good. But I really think it's an easy thing to do with the doctor. And I'm so interested in that character and what's happened since Voyager, you know, or he's off on some other adventure and where, you know, the updates don't even matter. Maybe he's on the Dauntless. Well, there's no reason he couldn't be there as the Doctor without any aging, obviously, because it's animated. And it's so funny because in that Kate Q&A that we were just talking about, someone asked about the friendships from Voyager, and she specifically talked about how close she is to him, how much she loves him, um, and what a decent person he is. She told a beautiful story about her last day of filming that I won't ruin for anybody. So working together although i guess they wouldn't be working together because she likes to record her parts <laughs> alone but you know i think she would be thrilled but that's animated and he's talking live action so anyway everybody's uh trying to figure out how to get them all back in somewhere <laughs> so let's move to a little kind of corporate news a lot of people haven't heard of this service was something called pluto tv it's actually massively popular it's paramount global's other streaming service but it's actually more popular than paramount plus because it's free right it's basically old tv it's got hundreds of channels or something and it's not just paramount content it's the you know they've got uh stargate on there they've got all sorts of stuff on there it's like having cable in in 2002 they have a fantastic uh game show channel Tons of old, old, old game shows. It's delightful. So there's a Star Trek channel, which they launched last year, which just runs TNG reruns. And this week they announced they're launching a second Star Trek channel, so, uh, which is going to do DS9 reruns. And then and they're also going to do original series reruns. Obviously, they're always reruns. I don't know why I'm saying reruns. <laughs> <laughs> Fresh um, new episodes <laughs> of the original series. On the main Star Trek channel. So they're going to have three out of five of the legacy shows. But it's not on demand. It's 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 old school. You just tune in and, you, you know, and whatever episode they're playing, they're playing. And there it is. And when there's an ad, there's an ad. And that's just how it goes. And yeah. if you stepped away, too bad. It is. It's, it's, yeah, no it's, pausing, right. no recording. It's, it's, it's the way it used to be. And yet it's massively popular well there is that nice experience of you know when they had all they have all these next generation episodes and sometimes i mean i i'm a person who loves on demand i love choosing but i have to say the idea of i might just turn it on and just get whatever episode is next is a fun now unique experience that used to be how it was all the time so uh, now this is usa only by the way Uh, pluto has launched around the world but the new Star Trek channels just in the U.S. Okay, let's switch to Prodigy before we get to the episode. There's a couple of uh, little bits of Prodigy news. Like it was nominated for an Emmy Award for Best Animated Children's Series. And it's actually going to be for the first ever Children's and Family Emmy Awards because this used to be part of the daytime Emmys. Um, but they're up against some other big kids shows. And I'm excited for them because they deserve 
not just the nomination. They deserve the win in my book. It's a huge honor, especially because I think the way the rules work, this is based on 2021 stuff. So this is only the first five episodes, actually, they were allowed to submit. But still, I think it's it's a really good show. They're in good company. The Star Trek, the animated series actually won this award when it was part of the daytime Emmys back in 1975. And it's rare for a Star Trek show to get nominated for a best series thing. It's almost never happens. It's always visual effects and all that kind of stuff. Lower Decks was nominated for sound editing, for example. And ironically, Prodigy wasn't nominated for any of the kind of technical children's awards, you know, because they are still doing those for these children's, you know, but they didn't get, because I think the music, the animation, oh yeah, that that side should have been recognized as well. But so they've got the big award nomination, but they don't have any of the what quote unquote creative arts awards. Yeah, I was surprised they didn't get multiple nominations also. Well, maybe next year when they've got a full season or more episodes from 2022. A season, a half season, whatever they're calling it. (laughs) (laughs) But I think it will. Hopefully it wins because it's absolutely deserving. I mean, the reason why the Hageman brothers were hired is because they've they are Emmy, multi Emmy nominees and award winners for um, Troll Hunters. uh, Yeah. 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 So they knew what they were doing when they hired these guys. (laughs) We got a little more Prodigy news before we get into the review, which is that now every week we're going to get Admiral Janeway's log on Instagram on the account Star Trek Logs. You know, we've had Discovery Crew logs and things like that. But this is new. These these are all written by Aaron Walkey, who's the co-executive producer that we've had on our podcast. And he's writing them and they're they're canon and they're offering clues to what's going on. He's calling them canon and I know you're listening, Aaron. I mean, the the old rules of like, if it's on screen, it's canon. But I think this is very canon adjacent, at least, because he's writing it. He's writing the show. Um, they're never going to contradict the show. Right. I was going to say they're all going to play out. So whatever clues we're getting, we will see come to fruition in the show. In the first one, we have a mention of Belana Torres. She was the Project lead for the USS Dauntless. I don't think she's on the Dauntless, but... But I think we're going to see her at some point. That probably. That very excited. I got really excited about that because I would love to see her. The, the Dauntless opens up all sorts of possibilities, especially if Janeway decides to go back to the holodeck to reminisce of the old days, you know? So maybe she'll go back to that time her and Bellana came up with the name of the ship or whatever, you know? And said warp particles at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so they, I think these are going to be coming out every Tuesday. So uh, check out Star Trek logs on Instagram. There's kind of a funny thing, which is these log these logs are recorded by Kate, but it kind of sounds like she did it on the move. She was like on her on her phone. I mean, my head canon is this is Admiral Janeway like walking around the ship, you know, making coffee in the replicator or something because it. Definitely sounds like Kate is in her kitchen or something. That's I got such a kitchen vibe when I listened to it. I was like, what is she doing? <laughs> Why is she not in a studio? What is happening? So <laughs> I don't know what's up with that. Maybe it's being done on purpose. I don't know. Oh, you think it's all part of the oeuvre, as it were? I'm that... going <laughs> to just go with that. Just, okay. just in the spirit of prodigy love. But I I think they're fun. Well, also, there were details in there that were not in the show. 
unless I missed them. But when she said where they found the diviner, she said there were something about supplies for hundreds of people. Well, yeah, she was basically talking about how Tars Lamora. I mean, they don't know what Tars Lamora was. They just found this planetoid with the crushed communicator and she doesn't know it was a prison. Right. Right. So they're putting the pieces together. Um, But it is interesting. I mean, it shows you how she has a completely different point of view of the diviner and Tars Labor that she's going to, you know, and we'll get into this in the review of she's coming at this from another angle. We know that he's a horrible guy and was keeping slave labor, but you know, she doesn't know. Right. No, I know that. I just thought it was an interesting point. She didn't say gruel. She said food and supplies. So I don't know. I thought that was an extra detail that was interesting that was not in the episode. Well, let's move on to talk about Sleeping Borg. Let Sleeping Borg lie, which, you know, kind of a spoiler for the headline, but they're like, you know, let's just go for it. (laughs) It, Yeah. There's no way of hiding who's going to show up in this episode, I guess. Yeah, no, and why? I mean, I'm glad they do that. Just say it. Just say what it is. Sure. This is this is the Borg episode. It was in the trailer, and now and now here it is. I enjoyed it, not as much as episode 11. The frustrating part of the show is it's short and high, but highly serialized, so you can get frustrated, feeling like you just want to watch the next one, you know, because it's not a cliffhanger ending. Well, a little bit, but you just you're just left wanting more. I guess Do you know what I mean. It's always priming you for the next one. Yes, you could see that each episode has a a plot and a character thing to do. So this episode has a zero character thing to do, and it has a plot thing to do about the ship and them understanding why they can't touch Starfleet. So they had this is the figuring out the threat of the weapon, which they now call the living construct. They're like two pieces of business, as it were, to get through in this episode, which they do well. So I like the zero character arc, and it's fun how they essentially use the Borg. This really is nothing about the Borg. It's about them learning about the weapon, and they use the Borg to learn about the weapon. And it's about eliminating the possibility that they can do something about the weapon. Right. You can't just throw it off the ship or blow it up or, yeah. In a very, very definitive way by going to the most advanced technology that there is, basically. Right. It's like asking God, right? Like, who do you yeah. ask? The smartest people, the people who've assimilated everything. And they're like, nope. Although, you know, the Borg would be happy to take it off your hands. Yeah, they're like, we could <laughs> we could take it. So, And that is also what made it such a big episode for Zero. I, I loved how much it delved into their guilt, their emotions around the harm that they'd done. And the atonement that they feel they have to reach to make up for it. I thought the emotional moments were really powerful and lots of good, funny stuff from zero, even at the same time, like calling the Borg a chatty bunch. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, Angus Emery does a great job in this episode and you start to see the patterns with prodigy. Um, It is a kid's show. So early on, uh, when Zero says, I couldn't live with myself if I hurt anyone else. That's the guilt of that is set up early on to kind of cement you to this is the issue Zero needs to get over. 
um, to move forward as a character. And, right. But it isn't. It, they're not hitting you over the head with it. But um, they they are very good at setting that thing up in the first act, resolving it in the third act in a very satisfying way. Um, and I think it works really well for kids. There's you know this is one of those episodes where there's a lesson to be learned, and it's on it's it's a kids show lesson. It definitely works well with kids, but I still like it too. Well, the other thing they're balancing beautifully in in that same vein is the knowledge. So we all know who the Borg are. Someone new to Star Trek doesn't know who the Borg are, especially kids. And they really find the right balance of explaining who they are, which they have the convenient device of Janeway has to explain things to the kids. But also even when they're there and the, sh- the Borg shields start adapting as they're firing, it all plays out in a way that just works on both levels at the same time, which I think is really hard to do. It was fun and weird because you see the Borg and the kids are like, well, maybe they can help. And you're like, it's the Borg. You yeah. Know, like, can't help. They don't, that's not what they do, you know, but it's, it's interesting to watch this episode is, you know, what if you knew nothing about the Borg? Like there's that scene where Gwyn is walking through the Borg using the, if you don't do anything, they won't bother you, which I've always thought was stupid. Just side note. <laughs> I know, but it's been built in since the first time we saw them. Absolutely. It's Star Trek canon. The Borg wait until you cause some trouble because it, you know, it'll, it'll cause them problems just to turn to their left slightly and shoot you. So whatever. But that scene of her walking through the Borg against her own instincts to use her weapon was terrifying. I felt, I think kids will be genuinely afraid, which, because this is, kind of a haunted house Halloween episode coming a few days after Halloween. I thought that was a great moment for sure. Yeah, I wrote truly terrifying in my notes. So it was a great kind of reintroduction to the Borg. There's even a part where they're all almost just contemplating the nature of the Borg as they're trying to figure it out. Like Janeway's giving them the information and the details, but they're each sort of processing it through their own lens their own viewpoint of each character and i just found that to be a very fascinating scene right i mean jacob loves the technology zero's fascinated with the hive mind dal's being a good captain is like these guys can help they all have a really good perspective on the borg in their own weird ways even though jankum does not want to fly in a box No, and he doesn't approve of the fact that they have never assimilated turbo lifts. I mean, it is a good question of, <laughs> have we ever seen a turbo lift on a board ship? I mean, do they have them? They must. They just couldn't find them, is my guess, because right. they, <laughs> they're like, screw it, let's just climb up the side. Even though they're introducing the Borg, this is a fascinating thing for Star Trek fans, because you know, after Endgame, the Borg are a bit of a mystery. There's hints about what happened to them in Picard, but not a lot of definitive stuff. And this episode sort of sets up an important point. So this is six years after Endgame. And when they show up, the Borg are asleep. And Janeway, or was it Janeway? Or Zero? One of them mentioned the neurolytic pathogen. Now it was that's- Janeway. Janeway said that the neurolytic pathogen disabled their nanoprobes and shut down the drones. Right. Now that happened. So this cube has basically been sitting there since the Voyager finale, just kind of floating around for six years. So the question is, 
with the death of the queen and the nan, you know, the the pathogen, have all the Borg, just all there's this Borg cubes just kind of floating around the Delta Quadrant, asleep for years, and they're not communicating with each other anymore. Right? Maybe they can't. Right. Um, I think that was part of that pathogen was that they wouldn't be able to. So this is kind of a big moment in Star Trek history, even though it's introducing the Borg to kids. It's also kind of a major moment for the Borg because this is the first time we're really seeing them. Now there is the, let's not get too into this, but you know, there was the artifact in Picard, but it was never really established when the artifact ran into the Romulans and assimilated the crazy lady. And then they all went crazy themselves. Right. Right. So tinfoil hat time. Maybe this is that (laughs) cube. I've missed your tinfoil hat. Maybe this is the artifact. And here's kind of the bad news. Um, Zero woke up the Borg. They did. So it's kind of their fault. Everything that happens from this cube, and we don't know if this cube interacts with other cubes, but is is on zero, essentially, for waking up. Well, it's Dal who said to do it. True enough. But Zero volunteered to go into the... That was a funny scene where Pog's like, give me a keyboard, anything. I'll work with anything. A joystick. But the point is, these kids... Woke up the Borg. Because the Borg still exist in the 32nd century. They were mentioned on Discovery. Right now, there's a you know something Gerardi at the beginning of season two said something like the Borg are like a mess basically that they're all disjointed and they're not the threat that they used to be. So whatever Janeway did has a lasting impact for decades. But this is at least an in, you know a big pivot point. Now, if you're just a kid watching the show, you none of this means anything to you, obviously. But when you're drawing the history of the Borg, this is a milestone event. Yeah, Borg scholars are very busy right now trying to trying to put it all together. I was just happy to hear the word vinculum mentioned again. <laughs> right. Because ever since that episode with the vinculum, which I believe was infinite regress, we've just had a running joke in my house about the vinculum. And I've actually used variations of that word in passwords for things. And yes, with numbers and symbols, so nobody can come and guess what my work login is. But um I love to use the word vinculum and things. <laughs> it's such a silly word. <laughs> it is. And it's back. And it's the vinculum is back. I actually got excited and wrote it in all caps and bold in my notes as soon as they said vinculum. <laughs> I mean, the other thing, I didn't really get this until my second passer, because when you're watching the episode and the Borg wake up, you think, oh, they're screwed, right? Because they're just going to get the little zit into the necks and it's over. And there was, it was a great action scene at the bridge. And have we ever seen Pog use his uh, flamethrower before? That was kind of cool. Yeah, that was new and fun. But then they take all the kids and they strap them to these boards like they're Batman villains. <laughs> like, what's taking you guys so long? And it, it took me a while to figure out, oh, they can't assimilate like they used to. Right. I know. I, I kept saying, why? I don't understand why that's happening. And then I in a rewatch, as I do for this podcast, they talked about, yeah, they can't assimilate anymore. Their nanoprobes have been disabled. Which is kind of the pre... People forget that that was introduced in First Contact. I mean, in the first episode, they, they found the little nursery where they, the idea was you 
they created babies and they grew up to be born. Uh, maybe they're they're they were going to go back to that and just start attaching things to the kids, like right. they did to Zero. Right. He got an upgrade with Jenkins. Will pass on the upgrades. Yeah. <laughs> Jenkins was the comedy hero of the episode. Oh yeah, no, there was a lot of fun stuff from him all, all along, um, for sure. I mean, it was a great mix of humor, action, and genuine scary stuff all at the same time, and and was- p- pure emotion too, intense emotion. Yes, especially with Zero, yeah, and a little bit with Gwyn as well. When I first watched, I was trying to figure out how I was I was thought at first, well, it's just a kid's show. And that's why Zero is able to resist because no one has ever been able to resist the Borg, really. And then I realized it doesn't have to be because it's a kid's show. He's a Medusan. And so that can just bring with it a whole different set of circumstances and rules being part of a hive mind. Even if they had nanoprobes, they would have no effect on Medusan. Right. So it was really all telepathic. At one point, Zero says it's overwhelming. You know, the, the hive right. mind. And, and in a way, possibly welcoming. Because it would yeah. get rid of the guilt. It solves their problem of feeling bad about stuff. Because they just kind of fit in with the collective. I thought that all played into it. Yeah, great episode for Zero. Uh, uh, I mean, the solution was a little... It was a little, you know, kids show like it was the power of love, right? <laughs> that sure. that broke through the Borg control. Um, but Gwyn's lesson of, and it's a great lesson of, you, you know, you, you take a risk by revealing yourself, but if it's done with love, they don't need a, another collective because their friends are their true collective. Right. So that's just adorable. Speaking of adorable. I was thinking about Murph and, you know, Murph is starting to, to to show some symptoms of perhaps not feeling well. And we know there's a metamorphosis coming from that clip that they revealed. Do you think Murph is female and pregnant? Um, I don't know, but they are good at dropping hints. So and we know because the clips we've seen, something's happened. I'm not sure about female and pregnant. <laughs> I think it's more caterpillar butterfly situation. Okay. So I think Murph is eventually going to turn into something else. Murph 2.0, basically. Or a whole bunch of mini Murphs. Or Yes, that's a possibility. Murph is going <laughs> to split into two. The ship will eventually be completely manned by Murphs. <laughs> a nursery of Murph babies. Yeah, I was surprised they played that and then just... I don't remember anything past the Murph is feeling sick at the beginning. They didn't really pick up on that at all again because they knew they were going to do this sometime later in the season. So they're just dropping a little thing so that they could get on it a little bit later. in the season. Yep. Which they're also very good at. Yeah. The other rhythm wise, one of the other things I thought worked really well was the way that they weave in what's happening on the Dauntless, because they're not overdoing it. I mean, I really do want the majority of the action to be happening on the with the Protostar crew. And I feel yes. like they've got just the right balance of seeing Admiral Janeway and her crew. And you're getting the sense of Admiral Janeway has very limited information. And so you could see why she 
has a different perspective. The big thing we got in this episode was Dr. Gnome, Tellarite, played by Jason Alexander. I think this is his first episode. Um, we've seen him, but this is the first time we heard him, right? I think we may have heard a little something before, but I, I, I like a sentence, a, at maybe. Most, at yeah. most. Like a fr- a not even a sentence, a phrase. Yeah, this you, you're getting a sense. I mean, they're playing into the Tellarite thing. He is cantankerous. He's very, you know, Dr. Pulaski, basically. But <laughs> no, even he's more so Pulaski. much. I mean, Dr. Pulaski, you felt like cared about her patience <laughs> and <laughs> right. didn't and didn't expect anyone to say congratulations or thank you. or Aren't you smart? And wasn't. And the only I mean, she was nasty to data specifically, but not really to anybody else. That's true. He's kind of nasty He's, to everyone. He to makes Admiral... you wonder, why are you a doctor on a starship? So I'm right. hoping that we will see another side of him when he has a different kind of patient or we'll find out something. Because otherwise I'd be like, why would you have that guy there? <laughs> he definitely doesn't like Asensia, the Jamila Jamil character. Right. Because he thinks she's a suck up. Yep. She, she kind of is. And she came up with the solution. You could see why that would piss him off, I guess. <laughs> to use the the suit, weird fluid suit. Yeah, the um, the the life sustaining bio serum, yes. otherwise known as the fluid suit. <laughs> so no, I I I mean, you always want more Admiral Janeway, but I agree with you. They're doing just enough. Again, at the end, just like the previous episode, they are following in the wake of what the protostar has done this time they're finding completely destroyed i was i was surprised on one thing cuz they they found the station from last episode the, the relay, relay station but no frax frax whatever his name was the denobulin <laughs> where is he i thought they would find him well they could still pick him up in the future i guess from he where? would have gone somewhere and he would have contacted somebody. Is there a planet nearby? Because you know the, the escape pods don't have warp engines in them. So anyway, right. I'm overthinking it, I'm sure. But you, you can't get far in one of those things. Is my I'm just saying it's possible that he just hasn't turned up yet. Regardless, she now knows that someone else is in charge of the protostar because Chakotay obviously wouldn't blow up a relay station. Right. So this is her first evidence that Chakotay isn't in control. I guess so up to this point, she's been assuming Chakotay was still in command of the ship and just wasn't calling her. So she, she really was thinking he ghosted her up until this <laughs> moment. She's like, what, what the hell's going on with Chakotay? I'm going to find that guy. He said um, he'd call. Yeah. He has a good excuse. <laughs> and she's worried about him. Yes. Um, um, I loved her facial expression when she ordered the tea. She basically had her face in her, like her head in her hands and this look of misery on her face that she was going to have to drink tea, which I thought was very funny. One would think by the 24th century, there was a version of coffee that had no detrimental. I mean, they, they, we've got decaf now. They must... What's so bad about coffee anyway? I was just going to say, I don't think they've, that coffee's actually bad for you. Yeah. Why would a doctor, I, maybe it's just gnome is a jerk and he, he knows she loves coffee. And he's like, Oh, you can't drink that anymore. Right. She did say she wants a second opinion. So yes, uh, maybe this is how they get Ricardo onto the show. 
he gives her her coffee back. She needs that second opinion. So let's talk about a couple of good things happen at the very end of the episode. So we have the protostar deciding what their new mission is, which I really like, which is let's go do some good. We can't go to the Federation, but we can be a ship that betters other people and answered. And they get so excited about the distress call. Rock is very excited. Like, can we help? Can we help? Can we help? So we now have a new mission for that ship. That's true. And it makes sense because they're like, we can't talk to the Federation. We, you know, the protostar can't interact with the Federation. But can't they find a phone somewhere and call the Federation? Like, they don't need to, you know, the, the, I guess this will be addressed later. But they could leave a message is what you're saying. There's a way to get them a message. Right. That they doesn't must be able involve. To, yeah. Right. They can't just run around the galaxy with the protostar. And never tell the Federation, oh, we've got your ship, but it's, you know, got this thing on board, so we're not allowed to be anywhere near you. But, you know, FYI, we've got your ship, and uh, we don't know where Chakotay is either. They're kids, and they're figuring this out. So they're starting this journey of, st- uh, they're going to obviously try to figure out how to get a message somehow. But in the meantime, they're thinking like kids, and they're thinking the message they'll send is that we are doing good deeds. Right. So that's their plan. And I thought that was a great setup for whatever comes next. Right. It, it, it allows them to plan it of the week it for the rest of the season. Yes. There's a reason for them to go places and have adventures. Like, remember earlier in the season where Janeway was the one who suggested they go hang out on that nightmare planet? Yeah. And you're like, what are you doing? <laughs> so this makes more sense. They have a mission. They have a reason to interact with other people. It's going to get very interesting. And then, of course, in the last few minutes, we see that our friend, the Diviner, has woken up with a gasp. The question is, is he still crazy? Because he saw zero. Zero. We saw him babbling. So it has the same impact as it does on others. But maybe his superfluid has some healing properties. I have a feeling he's not going to be 100% next week it allows them to kind of string this out i think right for him to be a little crazy himself right is he going to remember things and be deceptive is he not going to remember things is he nuts there are a lot of questions well he definitely remember you know he he was you know because before he woke up he was saying my daughter and my mission so he it's all fragments so i i I bet he will be able to convey something but he's not going to be mustache twirling full-on diviner you know where he's manipulating janeway you know it'll be a journey for everyone for him to get his wits back as it were right and then of course there's the possibility that at some point as he gets them back he'll disguise i mean there's so many ways for it to go at this point so i feel like the field is wide open which is a great place to be so um do you have any nitpicks for the episode i was a little confused about why they decided to put on their uniforms before going on a board cube that was my nitpick too (laughs) absolutely because i'm like if you're gonna seem less you know intimidating and you know less of a threat you don't put on the starfleet uniform unless here's here's the kind of twisted logic of it is maybe janeway says well look you know they've seen starfleet before there's nothing left for them to assimilate so maybe they'll leave alone I would think Jimmy would say, oh, they know Starfleet, so don't put on those uniforms. <laughs> well, it does I, get to the weird thing of why didn't Janeway know everything about 
Endgame and the Borg. Like she should have known more. And this gets to the issue of Janeway's not 100% herself because she didn't even know about the deck beneath the bridge, right? Because the Diviner didn't build that deck. He just stowed the weapon in there. So he erased an entire deck from her knowledge. Right, as well as the actual, the the thing that powers the protostar. Right, so, yeah, her, you know, she's got a Swiss, she, she's like Sam. Uh, she's got the Swiss cheese uh, memory going. <laughs> a little, is that a Quantum Leap reference? That was. Nice. It'd be nice for her to get to be 100% again. So we've got a journey for her as well. I have one other nitpick, except that I could easily explain it away, but it did give me a moment, which was if they could all go in the holodeck and watch the recreated conversation between Gwen and the Diviner, then why didn't they do that before when she couldn't remember? <laughs> but I thought maybe she didn't remember that that was where they had the conversation. <laughs> it's true. And the, Zero also got really freaked out and had to shut the thing down before it replayed Zero taking off the... Um... Robot body. Yeah. So here's the question of, would you go mad looking at a hologram of a medusan it's a great question i'll have to we'll have to ask aaron that yeah if you're listening aaron please tweet out can the holodeck drive you crazy by showing you a hollow hologram medusan i feel like he has an answer for it zero thought it would work um oh i think zero just didn't want to relive that moment that could be it because the holodeck should have safety protocols. It's not going to accidentally drive everyone crazy. You know, right. Oh yeah, that's bad. true. The safety protocols would, would kick in, but yeah, he just didn't want to see it again because he was so upset. And that's why Gwen had to comfort him. There was a lot of good Gwen zero in this episode. They have a great relationship. There were three hugs for zero, three <laughs> different characters hugged zero, which I thought was really nice. Oh, and now zero has d- did get some upgrades. I thought zero shed the upgrades. There was a moment where Zero said they aren't Borg, and I thought... Oh, did they rip off the new... Yeah. I mean, there was definitely, like, a thing on, you know, the eyepiece. Maybe maybe there was a drill bit they kept, but, I, you know, that may have always been part of his robot suit. Who knows? I'll have, have to watch that again. Yeah, I felt like that was new, the thing that freed them all. I mean, you may as well keep that. Why not? Sure. It's handy. Yeah. Until it turns on them later. Right. (laughs) There's always that. (laughs) Although Janeway at least sort of knows about her real self's history with the Borg. Because Janeway did say, I've had enough Borg for two lifetimes. Right. And because there was Captain Janeway dealing with the Borg and Admiral Janeway, who got assimilated and killed in the final spoiler alert in the final episode of Voyager who oh. saved everybody. There's many layers to that phrase two lifetimes then because yes. that's actually three lifetimes now. Right. Two real one hologram. I doubt they'll will they're not going to do Borg again. This was a use the Borg to solve that problem of explaining why they can't talk to Starfleet. Right, which was such a clever way to do it. Yes. But now everyone who gets killed by the Borg in the rest of the 24th century and into the 25th through the 32nd, it's all Zero's fault. Aww. And the vinculum. And the vinculum. The vinculum. 
But looping back, enjoyed the episode. Good season so far or good half season. And you're right. They've, you know, these first two episodes have very much set up a great second half where they have a new structure. I'm hoping we start getting Planet of the Weeky again, even though we know that Admiral Janeway's chasing them. Right. It's Admiral Janeway who can keep up that thread and then the kids can go have some adventures. Who's calling? Who's the distress call from? I know. I'm excited. It just makes you excited for the next one, which now I could go watch tonight. (laughs) Let's do our bits of the week. Why don't you give us a start? All right. I finally got to read and review William Shatner's newest book, Boldly Go, Reflections on a Life of Awe and Wonder. Um, Big surprise. I loved it. But (laughs) I have to say this one. I mean, I've read. I think um, maybe not every single one of his books, but most of them. And this one is really a series of essays with some memoir woven in. But I found it to be, I look, I unironically love William Shatner. I just love him. And I found it to be profoundly moving. Like I cried a couple times in certain parts. I laughed out loud a couple times. I found myself having discussions with people about things that Shatner talked about in the book after I read it. So it just, it fostered a lot of of discussion and thought and emotion. And I just highly recommend reading it. If you like him at all, I he's 91. He's seen a lot. He has a lot to say. He thinks about everything. He's always been thoughtful and articulate. And I feel like he's looking almost looking inward a little, which is unusual for him in certain ways. The audiobook is in my queue. Oh, good. So my question, though, is that because the title of the book starts with Boldly Go, which is obviously a Star Trek thing. How much Star Trek is there in this book? I mean, I would say he talks he talks more sort of about what his life was like, you know, in that time in post Star Trek. He talks a little bit about things he's touched on before, like Nichelle Nichols telling him, oh, nobody liked you. Only this time he sort of tries to figure out where that came from within him. And interestingly enough, he does reference specific episodes, which to me reeks of (laughs) co-writer. He's like, it was the one with the guy and the thing. Right. And he says, he says a taste of Armageddon. Like he names titles and he talks about what happened in the stories, which I don't think he really thinks about he references and it's not uh, a ghostwriter his name is on the cover yes co-writer i said co-writer that's what i said he's never hidden that his first memoirs were co-written by chris kresge who i was working with at the time which is braggy moment why my name is in the acknowledgements of those first star trek memories and star trek movie memories but chris worked very closely with him delightful chris and yeah he has a co-writer because he has someone who can help take all the things he wants to say and figure out a better way to organize them but it's very much his voice and i I will say i was especially thrilled that there was a section on game shows because i grew up as a little kid watching him on every game show that there was yes the 70s he was very heavy into the and 80s yeah i mean i most vividly i think remember him on tattletales as well (laughs) that is a deep cut (laughs) <laughs> My bit of the week relates to a couple Star Trek celebrities. It's a little more serious. This week, both Jonathan Frakes and Jerry Ryan are looking to Star Trek fans to help a couple of charities that are important to them. Frakes, with the kind of fan, uh, personal connection, Frakes' brother was lost to 
pancreatic cancer and this is pancreatic cancer awareness month he has a video talking about that and the pancreatic cancer action network the other one is jerry ryan she's making a personal appeal for a member of the star trek family named margo moraskowitz who has been her stand-in for a long time including on star trek picard and she recently got a terrible diagnosis of a version of ALS that is just hitting her really quickly. And they're doing a GoFundMe campaign for her, but it also flows into the ALS Association. And this is called trekagainstals.com is the website. Also, it's timely, but Kate Mulgrew, I saw this in the Q&A. This uh, November is Alzheimer's Awareness Month, and so she's actually planning to auction some Janeway items on eBay to raise money for Alzheimer's research. Her mother died of it, and she wrote about it in her books. And she said, just keep an eye on her social to get information on that. But she spoke very passionately about the need for research. All three of these causes are, I mean, they're such emotional ones for everybody. So if you can donate to any of these if you can please do and at least share the videos share the information yes and that's it for another week of all access star trek podcast see you again next friday see ya